Spring forward at Banana Republic Factory with 50 to 70% off everything. Shop season favorites from colorful dresses to easy tops from $19.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Shop 50 to 70% off almost everything at Gap Factory. Get 60% off select jeans and dresses. Shop the sale through March 28th at Gap Factory and GapFactory.com. This is Selena Yvette, host of Stories from Planet Earth. Thanks for listening to The Following Show on Public House Media. Welcome to another No Filter Friday on Public House Media, and today I'm sitting here with Ryan Sosha, who runs Jane Doe. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad we finally got this together. We've been talking about it for like a while. So walk me through this Jane Doe situation. How did you come to be in this it's not really a business. It's more of a um, space. Yeah. So the short version of the story is like I grew up in Connecticut, you know, in a small town of Mystic, Connecticut, and ended up going to high school in, in D.C. And when I went back to Connecticut one summer uh, before my senior year, I went to work in a family friend's law firm and helped represent plaintiffs of abuse. And over the two month internship, like we helped settle a case on behalf of a woman in her forties who was suing her parents for childhood abuse and we won. Um, so I really learned a lot about, you know, the grounds on which individuals have to pursue legal action through that internship, as well as, you know, what actually is going on in some cases behind closed doors. Um, you know, fast forward to the end of this internship and I actually had a close friend of mine who was going off to play D1 football at Penn State, um, basically break down one afternoon, tell me that he had been molested by a cross fitness trainer. And, um, you know, I I just, you know, felt like I needed to help my friend and, um, you know, encourage him to do something about it, being as, you know, none of us were in this community in Connecticut anymore. And, you know, how else would you go about making sure that this individual doesn't do it to others, especially when I learned keenly and become keenly aware of um, over that internship that most offenders are, in fact, repeat offenders. So long story short, in uh, 24 hours from my friend, you know, speaking about what happened to him, we found 10 others who had the same incident um, by the same perpetrator. And really, that was, you know, the moment that shocked me the most where, you know, it's really just transformed the situation from one of tremendous shame and stigma to finding out that there were others and then now unanimous consent to pursue action against the perpetrator. And from my perspective as an outsider in that, you know, whole whole ordeal, um, I was just looking at my friends that I had grown up with since kindergarten. And, you know, here were 10 guys that, you know, trust was literally optimal and it took 10 of them to be, um, you know, impacted by this perpetrator before one was even, you know, willing to speak up. And, you know, after seeing what happened when they realized that they were all connected, I just, I fundamentally, you know, saw that there was a change in narrative for them, as well as I started to understand a little bit over, you know, the time with the 
um, internship with the law firm, what the value would mean for a law firm who, you know, would be trying to take on a case of this nature. So I really just from an early age, you know, understood the value to both parties of identifying these connections early on and wanted to do something to, um, to help catalyze uh, those connections. Um, fast forward to college, though, I basically learned that the advice I gave my friends was really good advice and that I hadn't taken it for myself. Um, so, as, you know, as most of us do. Yeah, exactly. And the short version of this is that I was sexually abused by one of my best friend's older brothers growing up, and I spoke up about it once and was told, you know, my brother would never do that to anyone. Um, so I just really felt like, you know, based on my personal experience and based on, you know, the experience with a ton of my friends, um, I felt uniquely positioned to you know, develop this technology. And I wondered, you know, who else might do it if I didn't step up to the plate and just get it done. Um, so it, it all really started there going back to high school. I mean, that's a good, that's a good place to start. And it's certainly a good story because that's, I mean, that's something that I found in, you know, my spending the last, I don't know, three plus years. Um, no, longer than that now, probably closer to four or five um, years interviewing survivors of sex crimes around the world is that they're never the only victim yeah. of somebody. It's always a perpet like it's like a it's a course it's a pattern of behavior. It's a course of conduct that totally. either rapists or molesters or you know whatever. Like they do the same thing over and over again. And that's how I found, you know, if you interview these people individually, even if they don't know each other, they'll tell you the same pattern of events. So you know, and for a legal perspective, like that is like a proven course of conduct is like invaluable to a case, especially a big one. Yeah, definitely. And and a prime example of those connections is like when, you know, backlogged rape kits get sequenced and then they compare all the sequenced rape kits amongst themselves. And oftentimes they're finding 50% hit rates for repeat offenders. So um, with our technology, we're essentially doing the same thing. Um, with digital DNA in, in another light. I guess you could think of it like that. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, a pattern's a pattern, whether it be physically or metaphorically. Agreed. <laughs> okay, so when somebody um, somebody wants to report, like, what is, the, what is the process like that for Jane Doe? Yeah, so... Um, essentially, someone can go to jdo.io, so it's jdoe.io, or download the app by searching jdo or various other keywords in the App Store. It's available for free everywhere in the U.S. for iOS and Android. We're expanding to 155 different countries this year. Um, but essentially, you download this app, you create an account, um, you know, you click the plus icon in the top right-hand corner, and we'll ask you minimal details about the report, but nevertheless important details about what happened, whether you experienced or witnessed it, where it happened, when, as well as uh, various identifiers for the perpetrator, um, him or herself. So we ask for like the name of the perpetrator, phone number, um, you could give us some social media links, maybe list the workplace of the perpetrator. And all of these will be filed uh, as an anonymous report on our system that neither defames the perpetrator nor could even be subpoenaed from our platform. So um, I think the real story about our technology is that anonymous reporting isn't a new concept, but what we've built is something that um, could be placed even in a country with the most oppressive regime, and there's nothing that that regime could do to you know, undermine these, these reports on our system. It's, it's totally anonymous. 
uh, and secure even from us as a company. Um, and we did that on purpose to essentially, you know, reduce the downside to filing a report. Um, I also just wanted to mention that, like, we encourage folks, whether it happened, you know, today or 70 years ago in the past, to consider filing a report because the statute of limitations are constantly changing um, in different states. And really, like, you don't even have to have a desire to connect with a law firm necessarily. Um, over 65% of our users are, but you know, oftentimes folks will put a report in thinking that, you know, they just want to document it. They don't want to think about it um, only to find out down the road that, you know, more people have reported the same perpetrator. And, you know, going back to the story with my friends, it really changes the narrative once you realize, you know, as someone who thinks that they're alone, realizing that you're not, you know, it, it gives you um, a much more powerful voice um, to, to, and a lot more confidence to pursue, you know, civil action together against an abuser rather than doing so individually. Absolutely. And that just, I mean, just the emotional side of it to know, because that's, sex crimes are such an, an isolating thing. It makes the victim feel mm -hmm. so completely alone and so isolated and so on the outside. But when they figure out that they've got more of them and more often than not, plenty of them to go to go after the person or to even, you know, to speak to, you know, filing reports of things that happened, you know, ages ago, mm -hmm. even if your statute of limitations is out, doesn't mean it's out on somebody else. Like you could still end up aiding in somebody else's case. Totally. From, you know, totally. Witness standpoint. Totally. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I just like to add that, like we often tell folks that like this technology provides a tremendous amount of both both emotional as well as practical strength, practical strength in court, emotional strength, because, you know, if you're reporting something from a while ago, like it can be a very cathartic experience to get this off your chest, to put it in the system, to know that you have complete control um, and ownership over your report and where it ultimately goes um, down the road. You know, it could be the case that we end up, you know, allowing folks to share reports with law enforcement. Um, we ultimately want to provide various options for survivors to decide what they want to do with their story. But nevertheless, even if they do nothing, it can still be imperative to a case just because of the repeat offender identification you know, algorithm. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, once everybody, you know, enough people to get together to stop somebody from having their next victim or their next next victim or their next 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 victim, because they're going to keep going every totally. single time they get away with it. They're empowered to do it even more. Totally. And even in the school's type of setting, you know, if a teacher um, gets in trouble for sexual misconduct, there's this, you know, common term called passing the trash, which is, you know, the head of school writing a glowing recommendation for this perpetrator just to get him off the campus. And, you know, meanwhile, he's negligently passing the perpetrator to a different university in a different state. For a, for where a crop of victims. Yeah. And, and without this type of technology that can track perpetrators, you know, across the entire U.S. or, you know, eventually this year across the entire world, um, it's incredibly difficult to, to keep track of all of that. Absolutely, especially from a global standpoint. Like a big goal of No Filter Friday that I'm actively working on constantly is connecting the Me Too movements across the world. I've talked to Me Too India. I've talked to Me Too Ethiopia. I've talked to Me Too Germany. Like That's trying to get, trying to t get to everybody on the same page because as far as I can tell, nobody's communicating. Every, it's yeah. just like localized in all these different places. So let's talk about how you're going to get JDO global because that's the world as a whole that we live in. 
Yeah, so as of right now, um, our iOS app can be downloaded in about 156 different countries, but we're working on the functionality to make sure it's truly robust in all of these different regions. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty simple process compared to what I thought it would be. Um, but I guess the biggest barrier to entry for other technology companies is, you know, dealing with GDPR compliance or any of these new, you know, privacy standards. Um, with a system that we built, though, you know, we often joke and say, like, if Facebook had done with their data what we do with ours, they never would have ended up testifying in front of Congress because <laughs> essentially, like, we don't use, we don't sell or, or use users' data you know, in a malicious way, like all the data is protected even from us, like it's owned and controlled by the users and our system, you know, just enables, you know, what needs to happen to happen. Nothing, nothing beyond that. Um, but yeah, so recently we, we teamed up with some multinational law firms, um, hopefully having some, you know, press releases in the next couple of weeks with that. But yeah, they are in various countries around the world. And it's, you know, not a matter of if they want it, it's a matter of how quickly we can get Jado to the rest of the world. So. Get it rolled out. Well, if you want to go on a, on a rollout tour, I will go with you. This will be amazing. I'm so speaking, <laughs> speaking of which, though, how do you how have you been getting the word out about it domestically, like within North America? Yeah, that's a good question. And it honestly, I don't know, a lot of people think that we must have a very sizable advertising budget, but the reality is, is we've almost spent nothing on advertising. Um, a lot of early traffic was, you know, word of mouth. On uh, the past few years, we've had just a tremendous amount of press. We've been on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt and Kate Snow, um, New York Good Times, one. Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, just tons of, you know, articles flooding the web with, with our technology, and that's been really great for helping folks to become more aware of it. Um, I mean, we've also had the great fortune of, you know, these incredible movements. And when we had first started, you know, these weren't necessarily on the horizon. So, you know, it really just, it became something that, you know, we could have never predicted that timing. And, and definitely, you know, we've benefited from, you know, helping to amplify these movements and being a part of them. Um, so, yeah. A lot of that stuff. But the other thing is we team up with various high profile civil activists and survivors who speak on these topics around the world or around the country, mostly um, really as a full time job. So Brenda Tracy, for example, um, she's a gang rape survivor from the, uh, Oregon State University, and she speaks out about 180 universities a year, you know, speaking to athletics groups, um, you know, and entire athletics departments, faculty, Greek life. Um, so she has a very large audience. And um, as she's, you know, raising awareness about these issues and sharing her story, you know, with the athletes and, and all that good stuff, she also uses Jado as a call to action at the end of these types of engagements. Um, so we've been really fortunate to have identified um, some, some really, I don't know, I, I like to think of them as on a trajectory that few others are. Um, various high-profile civil activists and survivors who can help us, you know, bridge the gap between a technology that exists that can genuinely, you know, positively impact a survivor's life and getting into the hands and, and downloaded by these folks. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a continuous process, but you know, so far lots of so good, good organic growth in there. Yeah, definitely. And again, like we've almost spent nothing on advertising to date, so um, I feel like we're doing something right. This year alone, we're anticipating having over 10,000 reports on the platform, which I think will be game changing. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that those reports have to happen at all. But yeah. if they do, 
I suppose it might as well be on Jado. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if there's anything we can do to help address underreporting, like that's ultimately the goal of our technology is to take crimes that are reported, you know, one in 10 times and, and make them reported one in three or one out of one times. Like if you think about murder as a crime, like it's not the case that it doesn't get reported, like it gets reported almost every time, you know, but with these crimes, it's, it's very different. So, um, you know, by eliminating the downside to filing report, our goal is ultimately to in increase those rates, you know, ideally to one in one. Absolutely. I mean, I have, I feel like I'm always, con I feel like such a broken record constantly talking about that. But yeah. yeah, like I always say that like sex crimes from the perpetrator standpoint are like the perfect crime to commit because like your victim doesn't want to talk about it. Nobody around your victim wants to talk about it. Like if bank robberies was like that, yeah, <laughs> there like, wouldn't be would have... Yeah. And um, I, I just think it's tragic. Like when we first started Jado, um, you know, from my perspective, the real world was genuinely failing survivors. And like, um, I totally lost my train of thought with this. One sec. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if bank robberies <laughs> were the same and nobody wanted to talk about okay. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so from my perspective, like the real world was genuinely failing survivors. And um, the thing I'm trying to say is about solvability. The real world is yeah. failing survivors. And when I looked at these crimes from like a research perspective, they were totally solvable. And it was incredibly tragic that it wasn't being solved. So, you know, if, if you could increase reporting rates, given the nature of these crimes, it's like literally these crimes are the perfect matchmaking system in the sense that most perpetrators are known by name to the victims. And most perpetrators are repeat offenders. So the fact that it's underreported you know, at, at one in 10, you know, like that's the rate. It's tragic that, you know, that's the case because if reporting rates could even increase modestly, you'd have an expo exponential capacity to identify repeat offenders. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, I feel like society views these issues through a lens of stigma, but to me, it was like very clear how solvable this was. And, you know, if you bundle a solution in technology, and you know, enable it to solve this problem for one person, you could scale that to a billion people. So to me, it was always about, you know, how could we leverage technology to address this? And after digging into the research, after you know, being frustrated based on my personal experience or you know, based on my experience um, you know, with my friends and in the firm, um, it really just stood out to me as, as the, the clear way to moneyball the, the civil and, and criminal justice system is to increase reporting rates and everything else will follow. Absolutely. So because it's really hard, like even if you do go to the police and be like, this person did X, Y and Z to me, you're going to get grilled up one side and down the other. Um, but if you can bundle some of these cases and be like, see, we have a pattern, we have a perpetrator, we have all of these things. When you do take that to the police or when survivors that have used JDO take that to the police, um, are the police, at least in North America, are they required to act upon this like are they mobilized by all of these reports together yeah so right now we're not working with law enforcement yet but we've had various conversations and there's definitely a lot of interest i think that the main point is that um, law enforcement sees our technology as something that could help them increase their prosecution rates so you know maybe a case that 
you know, just fell short of, of being successful from a criminal justice perspective, you know, if, if there were additional plaintiffs or additional victims of the perpetrator and they had just been connected to this, you know, um, to this pursuit of justice a little bit earlier on or, you know, at all, uh, that could have a game-changing implication for whether or not the perpetrator is behind bars. So in the same oh. sense that we can enhance, um, you know, civil litigation through the connections that we find in enabling survivors to pursue justice together, the same, um, the same thing applies, you know, when, when survivors could, could use this to pursue uh, criminal action as well. Absolutely. Well, I met with the city attorney of Los Angeles, I don't know, a few months ago, and they said that their biggest fear, you know, going forward with cases is that it's a pretty, like, they feel like it's a solid case, and then they get there, they get to trial, and the perpetrator walks free. And they said that that's what scares them the most, because then they're super emboldened, and they feel like they can do nothing wrong, and literally nothing will happen to them. So, yeah. There, you know, these cases that are like even 70%, 80% of the way in the bag, the city attorney, at least in Los Angeles, is even nervous to take them as like, uh, I don't know, because they need 100% to really yeah. take down a perpetrator. Yeah, I agree. I mean, any additional edge you can get, I'd say, is, you know, meaningful. So hopefully our Absolutely. technology can, can help to be that, especially from a criminal perspective, although we're not there yet. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting is, you know, thinking about these patterns and, and what we're doing to identify them. Um, you know, once we have enough data, like bringing artificial intelligence into the mix and, you know, potentially finding patterns that typical humans would have missed um, in terms of these crimes or in terms of being able to identify uh, individuals as repeat offenders, I think that, um, you know, there's this this initial sprint for us which is the technology working without using data science uh to its advantage but there's also another sprint you know once we get to a certain point in terms of you know usage and, and the data we have where we'll actually be able to start leveraging you know advances in artificial intelligence to um, you know help to catalyze these things and, and make better cases as a result absolutely okay so this is a question that I get asked all the time, so that, of course, I have to pass it on to my guest because yeah. it's, part, it's part of the discussion, right? So we're living yeah. in a major era. The toothpaste does not go back in the, go back in the tube. Um, where do you see, with your experience and with your piece of technology, where do you see the future of hashtag MeToo going and impacting the world? Yeah, so I think that Me Too is definitely here to stay. And I think that um, it's really just something that is going to continue to grow, like like a positive fungi that just keeps spreading across the Amazon or something. But in any case, I think that um, the future of Me Too is going to be um, a lot less activism and a lot more... Um, you know, leveraging the forces of capitalism to ensure that this is the case now. Um, part of what we're seeing with like the big, you know, big private equity firms, think of like BlackRock, you know, they have a CEO who basically is like, hey, we manage, you know, trillions of dollars of wealth. And if we have a decision to invest in a company that's doing good for society, or the same company that's just caring about profits, you know, and, and they're on the same playing field, like we're going to invest in the socially good one. Um, in the M&A world, we're starting to see stuff along the lines of, 
you know, me too provisions within companies. So think of a buyer um, of another company, you know, asking the seller like, hey, I want to know how many cases you've settled. I want to know the misconduct inside your corporation. Um, I recently read a study that said $111 billion of M&A dollars um, were involved in Me Too reps. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, there will be a lot more fiscal incentive for companies to do the right thing. And um, I mean, you know, some other things that we're seeing are, you know, Uber with their transparency report. And, you know, I'm sure Lyft will follow shortly with that. But okay. I, I think at the end of the day, the thing that they're really um, missing in that report is, is like they need to address underreporting. You know, whether it's a technology company or a big corporation, you know, everyone needs to focus on underreporting. And so long as we can alleviate that, you know, and, and you genuinely care about transparency, you know, all the good results that, you know, are, are predictably solvable uh, to this problem will, will come. But I, I think that between, you know, the Me Too provisions that I was just mentioning, you know, sometimes referenced as Weinstein clauses in M&A, um, in addition, us, like, as a company, you know, being able to help survivors literally sue companies or sue individuals for sexual misconduct in a civil, you know, context. I think all of these things are ways of looking at the dynamics of capitalism with respect to, you know, the, the growing movements and, and activism in society and really finding a nice synergy between the two. Like as a company, we are not a nonprofit. We're a for-profit socially good entity. Um, and, and we're unique in that nature because, you know, we can actually prioritize our social mission above our financials and, you know, stakeholders can't actually get mad at us, you know, if we lost all of our money in pursuit of the mission. Other companies, on the other hand, only have a fiscal bottom line. Um, but we're starting to see just like a big shift in terms of, you know, the people with capital caring more and, and doing things that, you know, are, are putting money at stake. Um, in order to see the change that we as a society want to see. So. Totally. And at the other side of that, too, like when, you know, the word gets out about that, like perpetrators will hopefully think twice before doing these things, especially in like a workplace environment. Like, oh, I work at this company. If I do X, Y and Z, it's going to get reported and I'm going to get in trouble and it's going to be terrible. So let totally. me just not. Totally. Exactly. And, and we often say, too, like if Jado's ubiquitous on a college campus, then, you know, we think that perpetrators are going to think twice about, you know, whether or not they can get away with something like this. I fundamentally believe that we're entering an era, an era as society where repeat offenders are just statistically, you know, they're going to get caught much, much faster. You know, you could look at they, evidence of that as the Golden State Killer where, you know, they use 23andMe or whatever to identify him with like the daughter's DNA. Just a lot of new technologies are making it incredibly easy to identify those patterns early on. And I just think that moving forward, like we're eventually gonna hit a point where, you know, you can't get away with things if you're a repeat offender in many contexts, whether that's fraud, sexual misconduct, or whatever. I think that, you know, the patterns are more more easily recognizable and things are more transparent. Totally. And if you're trackable on a global scale, there's nowhere to run. We're gonna go to the moon, yeah. <laughs> you know? Maybe if you're Elon Musk, maybe if you're Elon Musk. Maybe, yeah. It's like, I got a spaceship, I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I got a Tesla up there too. I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll be just fine. He'll be fine. He'll always be fine. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on No Filter Friday. You have such an awesome, interesting piece of technology, and hopefully it will bring some hope and light 
to the people out there that definitely can benefit from it. Yes, thank you so much. And if anyone like wants to reach out and you know ask more questions about Jado, um, I guess they can feel free to email me at ryan at jado.io. Um, I pretty much respond to everything. So you know, happy to field questions or concerns or you know, if people just want to say hi, whatever. Yeah, I'm awesome. Here. All right, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that you're so free with your email. <laughs> it's so much easier. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know too many people who are, but I know Mark Cuban's like very, very like that as well. Um, I actually there cold emailed. You. Yeah, yeah, I um, I actually did a podcast years ago and was talking about Mark Cuban and was encouraged to reach out to him. And long story short, I've been like in contact with him over the last several years about Jado, and um, it's just That's funny nice. how accessible some people are and how inaccessible others are. <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. All right. Well, that is enough No Filter Friday for this week. Thank you for all coming by. Check out other shows on Public House Media like Choose to Rise or Confessions of a Military Spouse or Your Life Matters. See you all next week. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, bye.